Hello and welcome to Podsploitation, your exploitation podcast. I'm Daria. I'm November. And I'm Callum. Each month we come and talk to you about a different classic Australian movie from the exploitation era, and this month we come to talk to you about 1981's Road Games. Yeah, it's awesome. Actually, it's mostly <laughs> awesome. I'm going to redact that a little bit. <laughs> I've got a comment on Well, that. is it too early to go into this? But where's the exploitation? Ticks that every box. It was done cheap. It was done with government funding. They specifically brought in a couple of American actors because the producers wanted to ensure that there would be some mm. kind of a draw. And then I'm guessing it kind of crashed and burned. I mean, I couldn't find any figures on the result. I think my thought was more along the lines of there isn't TNA. No, there isn't. No. Which is very unusual There's for the genre. With guitar. Yes, it was back, you see. There's only two kangaroos in the whole thing, I think. Yeah, one of them is very hard to recognise too. Being dead. Being dead and gross and disgusting. I think as an Australian, we're pretty comfortable recognising dead kangaroos. We do see it every other day. But the the director, for example, in the commentary talks about how they kind of muddle a lot of shots to make it difficult to see if they're driving on the left or the right to try and make it not I know, it's so obvious, obvious, but we can get back to that. That comes later. Mm. Right. So first we'll just play you the trailer and then dive straight into Road Games. Road Games. What the hell? The truck driver plays games. The hitchhiker plays games. Aren't you kind of young to be hitchhiking out here all by yourself? Aren't you kind of old to be picking me up? And a killer is playing the deadliest game of all. Oh, he's just killed a girl. Did he make love to her first? I don't know. What's the difference? It makes a lot of difference. I think in order to play the game properly, we have to know what he thinks of women. Stacy Keach is quid. No, no, it's Q-U-I-D. D is in death, the young girls, you cretin. Jamie Lee Curtis is hitch. Attic and camera. Now you're uh, looking for a little adventure, huh? I could go to Disneyland for a little adventure. What I'm looking for is a little excitement. <gasps> Road games. Across 1,600 miles of desert highway, they're playing games of violence and sudden death. someone doesn't stop soon, there won't be anyone left alive to play Road Games. And after the trailer, we can discuss why the man was showering in dry ice. Oh, my God. (laughs) And why he was in the brightest bathroom in the world. I think it might have been some alien... Space Odyssey type scenario. Yeah, I'm, I'm convinced scenario. that the killer, the killer is just one of the aliens from Close Encounters that yes. decided to go sidestep all that cow stuff. Yeah, there's plainly another level to this movie. Yeah. Because <laughs> <laughs> that bathroom, holy crap, the lighting in that bathroom was insane. And apparently shot on site. No, not in a hotel. Yeah. On location. 
genuinely a hotel bathroom. In Melbourne. So, yeah, God only knows how hot it must have been in there. For those of you who haven't seen it, this Why quick summary is that... This? No, go and see it first. Spoilers. Sorry. Or who need reminding. Okay, we are not giving spoilers for a 1981 movie. Or rather we are. Yeah. <laughs> we're, well, spo- we're not giving a spoiler warning. I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah no, that's true. Here is your warning for spoilers and bad language. Yeah, pretty much from the get-go too. We don't do that countdown thing, so we very like no, to indeed. go straight to the end. The tale of Stacey Keach playing a truck driver, although he insists he's not no, a he's truck not driver. A tr- just because he drives trucks doesn't mean he's a truck driver. Like in Stardust, he's not a shop boy. He's a boy who works in a shop. <laughs> he's driving from one side of Australia to the other and... Whilst missing out on South Australia because they didn't give any funding to the film. <laughs> they go straight route. from Victoria to WA. And even on the map they show of the Nullarbor Plains, and Nullarbor is misspelt. That I noticed. Yeah, we didn't until we listened to the director's commentary. But they've actually taken Adelaide out. Yeah, There's just li- a chink in the map. They've literally cut out because they got funding. They went to government for government funding. They got funding from the Victorian government. They got funding from the West Australian government. They were going to get funding from the South Australian government. And at the last minute, the South Australian government pulled out. So if you look at Australia, they've actually sliced Adelaide out of Australia and put the road all the way around it. <laughs> the entire state bypass. <laughs> yes. <laughs> On the way, he picks up a hitchhiker played by Jamie Lee Curtis, and all the time he's either on the trail of or being trailed by a serial killer. Mm. Jamie Lee Curtis had very little to do in this film. Yeah. I think she was very much the, let's get the Americans, Mm -hmm. the American presence. Apparently she got some stick while working on the film for taking jobs away from Australia. Surely we were no longer at the point in which this was some kind of a novelty unless they just did that to everyone. I don't know. It's really weird because you look at the whitewashing issue that's happening at the moment where there's a lot of these movies where foreign characters are being portrayed by white American actors and there's a real push against it. I think this was much more of a union thing because apparently it was the unions that were like, you know, bloody foreigners coming over here and taking our jobs. And let's face it. So why did that happen to Jamie Lee Curtis and not to Stacey Keach? Maybe people didn't know Stacey Keach as well as Jamie Lee Curtis. Although, apparently, all of the ladies that were on set were going gaga over Stacey Keach because he was, like, really well-known at the time and very much that kind of big jawed American. In fact, um... Maybe that's why, then. Because, I mean, honestly, Jamie Lee Curtis could have been played by just about anybody. Mm. Oh, yeah. And originally she was going to be. And I think Rich... Oh, yeah, um, no. She was going to be an Australian, wasn't she? And then the people who make the money say, we want to be an American, so we make more money. Mm. And Richard Franklin, the director, as on the commentary, is actually saying that if he had known he was going to get Jamie Lee Curtis, who even then, after Halloween and a couple of others, was was up and coming, Mm. he said he would have used her a lot more, that she was kind of wasted in this. She was. Was it him or... I think it might even have been Stacey Keach, or possibly all of them, said it's... Really a big coincidence, this happens to be an American truck driver who p- picks up the only American hitchhiker in the country. Yeah, I'm like, yes. oh my god, what are the chances of that? I actually wanted to talk, well, I didn't want to talk about that, but I did want to point out, yeah, let's get an, the only American man who drives trucks um, <laughs> to pick up, yeah, this girl escaping from Canberra, can I say? I was oh, very, yes, I was, I was quite proud of our city's mention there, our fair city. Yes. Sorry, when you watch films from other countries, you're supposed to make a fuss when Australia gets mentioned. In Australian films, you make a fuss when your hometown gets mentioned. Yeah. Yes. And, and nothing much happens in Canberra. It's only sort of becoming more of a thing more recently. Now there's few yeah. films even shot here. Canberra is the, the sort of like a Washington DC of Australia, so it's a place uh, where a lot the of butt of jokes. Very much so. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. The story goes that if you were going to give Australia an enemy, you'd stick the hose in Canberra. <laughs> <laughs> Have you not heard that one? No. Oh, I'm sorry to introduce you to that. Or as um, Dame Edna said, Canberra is 
great within a couple of hours. You can be somewhere really interesting. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and it's true. Because a <laughs> couple right. of hours you can be in Sydney, a couple of hours you can be at the coast, a couple of hours you can be in the snow. And in the middle of it is Canberra, the bush capital, where we occasionally set fire to everything. I did notice, jumping back a bit, Stacey Keach's dialogue was littered with Australianism, sir. Yeah, and I was going to say, pronounced really well. Yes, They it pronounce was. Melbourne well, they pronounce Canberra well, which of course is spelt in a way that everybody pronounces as Canberra when they haven't heard it before. And everyone says Melbourne. Yeah, mm. so he did that whole idea. So, okay, I kind of want to, I actually wanted to ask you guys, who do we think Pat Quid actually is? Is he running from something? In my head, he was almost like this weird little Indiana Jones kind of character, this guy who... Oh, you just say that because of the leather jacket. But just from adventure to adventure, and his current adventure is driving trucks across Australia for a period. I want to know who he is. I didn't get a running from the cops vibe because he has no nerves when he gets pulled over by the cops later in the film. And he indeed tries to call cops at other points. There is that, yes, excellent point. Yeah, I'm not suggesting he's necessarily on the run, but I kind of want to know. He's like one of these people who, what? No, you mentioned calling the cops. He's trying to spell out his name. What trucker doesn't know the phonetic alphabet? Oh, yeah. That really Mm. bugged me. That was really bad, yes. What did he say? He was, wasn't Q for quinoa, but it was something similar, (laughs) wasn't it? No, it's quid! Q as in quartermaster, U as in utopia, I as in ice cream. I-C-E-C-R-E... Oh, Jesus. Q for... Quasimodo? Sorry. (laughs) Wow, okay. Yeah, he said quid-like-pound note, which is also something you don't immediately expect to hear from an American. Yeah, which was really weird, because the currency in Australia, which used to be based off the British pound, had actually been changed... In 1966, and this is an 81 film. It was really weird. Mind you, I suppose if your name was quid, you might... Yeah, you'd probably hang on to it for a little while. And also his speedometer was in miles per hour. Well, this was the thing. They couldn't decide if it was going to be an American or Australian movie. Like, the speedo's in miles per hour. Mm. The truck half the time is driving down the middle of the road, so it can't be said that it's on the left or the right. And Benny Balls is driving a car with American footballs in the back. Yeah, Benny Balls was really weird. So the big thing about this movie is that it takes an incredibly strong influence from Hitchcock films. And in fact, there are a lot of times all through the film that you can spot the beats of a Hitchcock movie. And one of the things about this one is that he travels kind of in that way that you do when you're on a main road for a long period of time. You end up with the same group of people. So he actually has a bunch of characters that he kind of names as he's leaving Melbourne that kind of reappear throughout the rest of the story. So Fred and Freda Frugal and Steezy Ryder. And I got a really strong rear window vibe from it at the beginning where he's basically looking in the various cars and kind of creating stories. Yeah, Yeah, very much, and creating stories and naming these characters as he's sort of narrating them. And it was really, really strongly for me, this is the rear window bit where he kind of sort of comes up with these stories. And yeah, and Benny Balls is this one character driving a station wagon full of balls, including a bunch of American footballs, oh, which... And we knew what line was coming. It's like, ah, oh, that man's got balls. Oh, yes. Mm, thank you. But yeah, so they all make appearances, and in fact, it turns out they were meant to reappear in on mass at the end of the film, and it never really played out that way. Have well, you ever was... seen a truck driver, or known of a truck driver, to stop that many times? Like, you're driving a truck, you're getting from... A to B. Yes, he's not meant to pick up hitchhikers. That just kind of happens. But stopping because you see a bloke pulled over digging a hole in the desert. Yes. Well, 
Considering he manages to make the trip from Melbourne to Perth in two days. Well, they cut out of South Australia. Well, this is true. I mean, yeah, that makes it quicker. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like maybe that guy was just going to poop. That's why he's doing a whole <laughs> no truck driver is going to stop that many times. You, you're paid on yeah. how quick you get there. Stephen King. Mrs. Todd shortcut style, just fold the map a few times and it's, it's like nothing. Maybe it's like a homeopathic thing. The oh more God. you stop, the less you actually have to drive. That makes as much sense as homeopathy. I was hoping you would say that. Okay, good. <laughs> I was thinking traffic's got a lot smoother since they used to a wormhole either side of South Australia. Yeah, pretty much. Yes. Big portal, portal hole, yeah. There's a big orange sort of tunnel on one side and a blue on the other. I'm picturing Pac-Man now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that works too. Well, no, because there was that flat earther that... Instead of just going with, it makes more sense for the Earth to be flat because then everything works. It's like, no, it's like a portal thing where you go west and then you go through a Pac-Man-like hole and come in the other side. Really? That's what you're going with? Okay. Wow. That's dedication to the bit. Isn't I it? I love it. <laughs> Gosh, we're all this way down and he hasn't even been to um, pick up his pigs yet. No, no, this is the thing. Oh, my God. And what is, I kept trying to find it and I couldn't find it in time before this podcast. What is the name for music that is meant to have been being played within the film itself? There's a diegetic. 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 You've been trying to think of that for two days. I love the fact that the harmonica song is meant to be diegetic, that you kind of pan across all these people with pigs, and there he is actually playing his harmonica inside. Except so frequently his mouth doesn't actually close over the harmonica, and I'm not entirely sure how oh. he's playing it. Yeah, that's true, but... Um, I know Callum disagrees with me, but it's just the rough colour and size. You know how the pigs have markings on them, and one of them matches the shoulder tattoo of the butcher? It's like they went to the same tattooist. <laughs> <laughs> so second dive into the film. So basically, he's a truck driver who is about to have a break, and he's then called on the radio to help with a strike that's happening. So he's asked to ship some meat on really short notice overnight to Perth, or as soon as he can to Perth, which is interesting because that actually plays a part in the story of some of the characters as well. And then he goes to pick up the meat and, can I just say, has the scariest fucking logo on the side of his truck? It looks like the pig is slicing up its own oh, leg. Oh, yeah, the, the pig what? eating itself. What yes. the hell? So did you get that with it, it, its own leg on the chopping board? Or yeah, not? yeah very much so. Absolutely. You're a dog, doesn't bite, does it? No, he's not a dog. <laughs> it looks like a dog. He's a dingo. Dingo? Yeah. Well, what anybody want to keep a dingo for? Well, I like him. He doesn't eat too much, he's quiet. A dingo's a kind of dog, so what's the difference? A dog is a parasite hybrid. I mean, he chases cars, he barks at shadows, and he eats his own feces. But a dingo? Dingo's clean, he's intelligent, he's quiet. In fact, he's physically incapable of barking. That's why they call him the silent dog. He's an aristocrat. Like me. Were all truck drivers as stuck up as you? Madam, just because I drive a truck does not make me a truck driver. You and your tundra wolf sitting up in your ivory tower. I'll bet you're not even married, are you? No. So I don't know if this is a girl thing, because Callum didn't notice it. But did you notice that the butcher's aprons are really, really long and it looks like they're going to trip over them as they go up the ramp? And do you even wear long dresses? Or is this just me? I have worn long dresses and I did notice that because... They were really close to tripping over. Yeah, I'm also just very sensitive to tripping upstairs. <laughs> <laughs> right. Which, you know, surely is something you don't want to do if you're like 
cutting stuff up all day. Yes, if you're carrying cleavers around, for example, tripping over things is possibly bad. I didn't notice that. And there's a big step up, too. It's like a big step up. Oh, it's a ramp. Yeah, but you'd imagine that they would have installed the ramp to be, I don't know, truck container height? Yes, this makes sense. The entire WHS scenario in this film. (laughs) (laughs) It's really not up to much. I mean... Well, it's 1981. I can imagine it. Because he was already two days overdue having a day of rest before he gets this call. Mm. It's not quite as bad as the pet food place out of um, Razorback. (laughs) 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 Which admittedly was the first installation that came to mind when I asked him to to chug meat around. Maybe that's why there was a butcher's strike. But having found out what was going on in Razorback. Having just read all about this stuff and, you know, that they want to talk about people having wearable tech that tells them when they're getting too tired and things like that, and here's the dispatch just saying... Don't you track drivers take pills for that sort of thing? I know, oh, you're yes. like right over frequency, as if it's a joke. Hey! <laughs> oh, God. So was this the time when they actually had units that were supposedly monitoring how long they were on the road? Because I know that they had that for a while, and truckies actually learned to turn it off so that they could still push in the 50 bajillion miles that they yeah, needed right. to. Because they actually worked out that there were some requirements on some long-distance road train drivers in Australia that were physically physically impossible. Yes, if you you followed all the rules as were laid out, you would physically not be able to perform the actual delivery times. Mm -hmm. I don't know about the real world, but certainly in the the movie, if basically his boss is asking him to do this via the dispatch officer... Well, he's already said he's hallucinating. I loved his use of the CB on his beard. On his stubble? That's it say they're static. That was really well done, I thought. And yeah, and I thought it really showed that, he, you know, he's obviously been on the road so long, he's got the stubble. I thought it was a really cool little bit. Yeah, it really sort of helped. He's like stinky, hairy man who drives trucks. But in the morning, he's got his shaver that plugs into the cigarette lighter. Yeah, the old electric razors. Yeah, that was good. Well, maybe it's the first time for a while he's actually had to go and, like, talk to people like he does at the the meat depot, whatever you call it. Oh, yes, true. Mm, so it yes, might want to be at least vaguely presentable for that. <laughs> Does he have uh, a single could... shower in the whole film? No, he doesn't. Wow. No, he's pretty ripe. Yeah. Uh, wow. But it doesn't matter if he smells at the butcher because, A, it's had a butcher, but he can win them over with his excellent harmonica playing skills. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. That music oh, was pretty good in that scene. It was the actual yes. music. Yeah. yeah. As made by Brian May, who we were just talking about before. Not that Brian May. But yeah. if you are listening, look up Brian May from Queen and also... Use your favourite search engine to type in Australian Brian May, and they look like a yin yang of each other. The shot on Wikipedia in particular is crazy black hair versus white, crazy white hair. In fact, there's a there's a few not the ones you think of. With this great Brian May, who's not the guy from Queen, is directed by Richard Franklin, who's not the bloke from Doctor Who. And in a minor case, I noticed the executive producer was one Bernard Schwartz, and I was like, oh, that's Tony Curtis's old name. He's probably oh, is it? Yeah. yeah. Jamie Lee's connection to the film might be because of him because Tony Curtis is Jamie Lee's dad and I thought he might have done the I'll credit myself under my own name not to draw too much attention oh that's a good notice that's a good pick up Raddy yeah except I was wrong it's completely yeah another Bernard Schwartz yes but well done you another Bernard Schwartz who's also a film producer yeah so, yeah, I, I would like to know where his orchestra was during that sequence where he's supposedly making the harmonica music in the um, Oh, that was quite networks. fabulous. There's drums and stuff in the background. So Yeah, oh, Boss is back in a truck. She's got a gun oh, on. Oh, of course, yes, yes. <laughs> she or he? Boswell, he, yes. Oh. Or did you, do you take Boz as being a she, the dog? I never thought about that. Does it matter? No, but it's a curious little fact. 
I thought at one point I might be getting my movie dogs mixed up. You thought it was a he? A she. Ah, right. Yeah. I don't know. I was pretty sure it was a he. Boswell. Which was, as they discuss, or discuss in the director's commentary, it is actually, it was very nearly Bosco. And then um, Stacey Keach actually pointed out that that's a chocolate drink in America, so... Uh... The day after I watched it, though, I remembered it as Bosco and not Boswell for some reason. Mm. Oh. Don't know. Yeah, weird. There we go. I, I don't know. We might have to you do not out. know the gender of the dog. This is important business. <laughs> well, the breed of the dog, of course, is a major thing because all through the film, it's all this talk about how he's done a snitchy and bought a dingo and... Mm. Shot on sight in WA. Get yeah. a bounty. And I didn't think it looked like a dingo at the time, but even the people in the pub are like, oh, is that your dingo, mate? Instantly assuming it's a dingo, and then it turns out, not a dingo. Could be part dingo. Yeah, there was a part dingo lived on my street and looked like that dog, actually. Oh, cool. Yes. Oh, dingoes are beautiful. Mm. And they're but nice they're not silent. Well, no, they do this weird howly... Just because they don't bark doesn't mean they're the thing, silent yeah. dog, as yeah. I think he called them. Yes. Yeah, they... I guess this... Well, I guess they didn't want to confuse viewers, but how confusing is that? Dingoes make a different noise. Yeah, yeah. It's like, you know, yeah. But I... Or do you just assume everything in Australia is pretty much just fucked up? Well, yeah, I don't know. I mean, that would be normally in a movie that would be some kind of a reveal, wouldn't it? There would the point about it not being a talking dog, and then it's, it would bark. Okay, I'm going to stop you there. It is not a talking dog. Talking dog. Sorry, good point. <laughs> barking dog. Barking dog. Here we That's go. It's not Alrighty. like the, a talking cat. <laughs> <laughs> Eric Roberts does not voice the dog. Oh, God, you're absolutely right. But, yeah, but it, it would be some huge moment that saves us. Which I suppose it kind of does at the end. Because the barking, Boswell's barking, is what sort of stops the cops when Killer is going away. Are we going to just sort of accept the fact that people have now seen the film? And... Yes, I We've already so. given a spoiler warning. Yeah, all right. Because... Either they haven't seen the film or they don't care. Yeah. All right. Because I want to say that my personal opinion of this movie is that... It had potential to be a really good one hour and 15 minute movie. With a great twist? Yes. Unfortunately, it ran for an hour and 41 minutes. Because did you at any point during the watching think they could be playing Stacy as actually being the killer and not being aware of it? No. I, I'm with Callum on this. I did as well. Uh, uh, quite <laughs> lay into it. And then, because I, I thought back to sort of reprocess how they would do that. And right at the start, where he, you know, sees the killer, he already says he's hallucinating. Yeah. Yeah. I honestly didn't think of that. It's not a bad idea. I just didn't. No, he says he's hallucinating. There's a lot of stuff that supposedly he doesn't see that others do. The first hitch that he picks up, the, the what's her name? Um, Frida Frugal. Frida Frugal. Becomes convinced that he's a killer at one point, and what was really interesting is that at the very start you don't see a death. You see the killer come out after having oh, got the, a guitar. Uh, dry ice shower. Yes, yes, from the dark side of the sun, and you see that he's got a string, and the girl's obviously having trouble with the guitar, and then she sits there while the string goes down over her eyes, incredibly calm. If he's just repairing the guitar, totally yeah. fine. You don't see you anything. You don't repair a guitar from behind someone, though. I'm thinking that would be quite uh, awkward. Movie rules. Oh, the, movie the, rules, yes. This is where I did think something on. So maybe that's her kink. Well, ah, this is it. It's well, seeing strangulation, sure, but garroting is a bit more dangerous, isn't it? <laughs> more dangerous than strangulation. I'm yes. not here to judge. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, whatever gets you through the night, as long as you make it through the night. Yeah, I was going to say, you didn't get it through the night, did it? <laughs> I believe there's meant to be safe and sane in there as well as consensual. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I just remember thinking that there was some part of it right towards the end. 
And I suddenly got a flash as they're having the car chase in Perth, which is a really cool, interesting little fact about that to come back to later. But You can't see air quotes on a podcast, just no, FYI. No, no, I know, which is why I tried to stop that and then sort of follow up by saying, hey, we'll come back to that. Yeah, anyway, I'm glad I, I, I put it to tri- Thank you. I see a little triangle. Yeah. <laughs> but right towards the end, I'm like, hang on a second, we've not technically seen anything weird by the, the van Very driver. Bad. There's a point where Hitch is actually sitting beside the van driver and they're just having a chat. Do you remember? Because Pat's actually saying, Stacey Keach's character is saying, oh, you know, he doesn't. she doesn't seem like she's been kidnapped. And I'm suddenly like, holy crap, if you were to run this from the van's point of view, assuming they're not the killer, he's just being followed by this psychotic truck driver all across the country. And this truck driver keeps stopping, and truck drivers never do that. So, yes, you're right. <laughs> and I just thought, oh, my God, this is this amazingly clever subplot that maybe Stacey is some kind of psycho that doesn't know they're their killer. Dissociative identity yeah. disorder. And I was like, wow, that sounds fantastic. And then, no, no, killer was killer, <laughs> Van was being driven by killer dude, killer had somehow captured Jamie Lee Curtis after having a nice conversation with her, and everything was just, like, black. And I don't know, I just, it, it was a little... There was the potential for that, for that nice twist. Yeah. I reckon you wouldn't need to take too much... You wouldn't need to... Well, I mean, certainly in this day and age, given the number of plot holes in those twist movies you see now, but I reckon you could run that film the same way and not change very much and suddenly make Stacey the psychotic killer character, the van driver, being some innocent dude who's just burying his I, I do quite like that because we come to very much like Stacey Keach. Yeah, we do. Yeah, and I love the idea he's of actually... driving along reciting Canterbury Tales. Yeah, well, he's really weird. And, I mean, he's vegetarian, or it certainly appears to be. Do you notice he never eats truck drivers are going along eating carrots and celery. Yeah. Well, he's not a truck driver. He's a man who drives a truck. (laughs) That's how he stakes his identity. Yes. So, Kevin, you just mentioned the dingo, as in they recognise it's a dingo straight away. Is that your dingo? So that's at the Yellowdyne Diner. Which wasn't shot there. Apparently it would be more expensive to shoot at that diner than it was to recreate the whole thing. Oh. That? Yeah. How, how does that come about? I That's an, Yeah, I have absolutely no idea. That's why I found it so interesting. And maybe you need to remove walls to get lighting up certain maybe. ways. But it's very interesting because that's a full 360 set. And depending on the release of the film, because apparently this is one of the things that was cut from American releases... There is a shot where Quid's on the phone trying to get through to the cops, as we talked about before, mm. to spell his name out in weird ways. And in the full version of the film, there is a 360-degree pan completely through that set, ending back on Quid from the far side of the billiard table, which was deliberately done by the director. He was saying is a bit of a show-off of, hey, look how realistic we made it, because it's a pretty offensive thing at times. I mean, there's some, as we've discussed in previous episodes... Aboriginals are not very well represented in this movie. Um, what? Did you see one? Yes, they were on the wall in chains, remember? Oh, right, I thought yeah. you meant yes. a live-action human Oh, God, version no. God, no. no. Indigenous um, Australian. There was yeah. no need for a, a wise tracker, so sadly, yet again, no actual Native Australians. No, uh, um, along with the graffiti that said Slim Dusty is a poofter. Yeah, I saw that too. <laughs> it was the graffiti, don't root abos, mate. Abos is crossed out, then we get whites. Then goats, <laughs> then girls is crossed out, and I couldn't read the other two after that. So there's a lot of rooting going on around Yellow Diet, I think. And a lot of people judging what is being rooted at some point. <laughs> They're setting down <laughs> regulations. They have a lot of goats around there. <laughs> Maybe don't more root, than girls, apparently. Don't root girls, root women. That's right, it's empowerment. 
Hashtag feminism. <laughs> um, but yeah, so that whole set is exactly... It's a set, and it's meant to be a complete recreation of the interior of that one spot that they were at. But yeah, and there's a full 360 like pan to show that. That was a pretty good shot, all things told. I really yeah, great. There yeah. were, Racist graffiti aside. Yes. Was... There, were two, yes. there were two shots that I really, really liked in this movie, if we sort of going into the production side of things for a sec. One of them was that very slow pan with the full 360 to show what I thought was just an interior, and I'm like, where the hell did they put all the dolly rig? And it turned out it was actually a set. But the second was the bits towards the end where he's changing gear, and he slowly jerks to the left of the screen as he's changing gear. It's the point where the door's been opened and you hear the bangs on the back every time he changes gear, and he's starting to hallucinate so much he's not paying too much attention. And there's a shot. Every time he changes gear, or you hear the engine change gear, he moves jerkily a little further left in frame until he's almost... And then he sort of pulls off frame as he's changing gear. And I don't know why, but I just thought that was really awesome. Dario, did you notice that the dust graffiti on the back kept changing? It was the same words, they just had different handwriting? I did. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, and I I think half it was almost disappeared at one point. Yeah. I don't recall noticing that. One of the doors wasn't done as, or hadn't been redone as firmly yeah, as the other. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Apparently somebody failed to take a Polaroid after Jamie Lee Curtis wrote it the first time, so they had to completely keep recreating it every time. And oh my God, the Polaroid. Wrong. Mm. Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> or probably they filmed the stuff when it was already up first and to take it off so Jamie Lee could write it on. Ah. Probably, yes. Yeah, spraying more and more dust. Ugh. So, and I feel this is really weird, and for anyone who doesn't know us that's listening, Callum and I live together. We've lived together for 18 years. Oh, so long. It's, and we share a brain. And so if I'm addressing a question, it's generally going to go to Daria because I already know what Callum thinks. <laughs> what he thinks is in my head already. Um, yeah. So, apparently... I'm a guest on my own show. That's right. You are a very special guest. No, we are guest, single entity guest. So, in 1981, who was the director? Richard, um, Franklin. Richard Franklin. Yeah, so they wrote Stacey Keach's role with Sean Connery in mind. <laughs> they just had no idea what an American star cost. Now, the uh, budget on this was $1.75 million. Yeah, <laughs> so, even yeah, then. that's who they wanted, Connery. Even then, they In fact, yeah, I think I read again. that somewhere because I was trying to find out if it had been originally written for an Australian because it had all these Australianisms no. in the dialogue. Yeah, no, they just did a really bloody good job with the dialogue. <clears throat> it's in the first few minutes he calls, he calls the dog mate, which surprised me. A bit. Yeah. But I thought, no. Oh, the if... dog's Australian. He uses its own language. Also, if he's been here a while, he's, he's going to pick up words like that. Of mm. course. Yeah. yeah. Which is the thing that then comes back to is like, how long has he been here? Why is he here? What's he doing? He's obviously an American and he's not He's not a truckie by trade. He wants to... This is just oh, another... Oh, okay. Well, we can do that game which you call, like, you call it window... Windows. Yeah. Windows. You call it windows. So I'm going to... Well, windows for... Actually, you call them <laughs> So Windows was a game that my brother and I used to play when we were younger and we'd be walking home just on dusk and it was just at the time when people's lights would come on in their houses but wouldn't actually close the blinds so you'd see into other people's houses and you sort of imagine it's a bit like what he played what, what funnily enough yes what, when uh, he Quid actually names the them 
you know, Freddie and Fred are frugal and does he doesn't actually say Sneezy Rider. He does say Sneezy Rider. He actually And Captain Careful with the Boat. Yes. And the Leyland P seventy six. And the Leyland P seventy six. God I felt sorry for that car because that was gonna be a shit drive. So I'm going with that Pat Quid had money behind him. He dropped out of college as an English major. Maybe there was some kind of heartbreak there. Oh, no. Okay, because he's old. He's balding. He was an English professor, messed around with one of his students, fled to Australia, and truck driving gets you a lot of money. There we go. I've stolen the mystery. Indiana Jones is a truck driver. Yeah, okay. Yes, I'm with you now. There's even less chance of being... No, just for his old deeds if he's in another profession entirely. That's exactly That's right. right. He's just a voice on a CB radio. Gypsy ate something or other. As and as Jeremy Clarkson talks about being a truck driver, change gears, change gears, murder a prostitute, change gears. Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> well, it really pissed me off that the BBC got in, Jeremy Clarkson did a lot of trouble over that. It's like it's a scripted, edited show. You could have changed this anytime you wanted, people. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> back to the movie. Yeah, back, back in the back Not in the movie where he's caught, he just has what is now becoming a more widely known ethnic slur as a call sign. Yeah, what's his call sign? Gypsy. Oh, right. Gypsy seven nine something or other yeah. or something. Oh, it was wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Why do we always have trouble with you, Gypsy? Da da da. That was an excellent impression. Mm, thank you. <laughs> you did your broad Australian accent very well there. So yeah, so basically he. Yeah, we never really got finished to the storyline, did we? Okay, so. <laughs> so he picks up the map. Have we ever? I don't think we ever have. We, we never, surely we must try at least once to get the story through. We're not S2.net. No. So he he's going to crash in a hotel, Killer takes his room, and. <laughs> we are back to the first film. No, no, no. no. This, this will be the short version. Oh, oh. Actually, yeah, no, you go. I've been talking more, you go. Were you going to talk about how long the lead-in yeah, was before exactly. the credits? Well, you know it was. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Did you notice that? The big lead-in before the opening credits, before the actual title. Yeah. It's like nearly 10 yeah, minutes. Yeah, yeah. I, I timed it. It is 8 minutes and 13 seconds before we actually get the title on screen. And it turns out, totally unintentional. The reason that uh, Richard Franklin did that is because he said that back then he had no idea of the, the... way that films were meant to go. <laughs> but he still had his... What what was the moment that came up at an hour? What the, was the one hour mark was when Jamie Lee Curtis's character is actually kidnapped when she's crawling into the van and she looks down and sees Killer lying on the floor. Uh-huh. He's pretty much bang on the one hour mark. You mean where... when it's broad daylight, she crawls into a van and then it's dark as night time? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and Quid is walking around carrying a fan, very much like a boomerang. Oh, and then it has possibly the shortest chase scene to date of nineteen eighty one. Because why would you assume that he could perfectly competently ride a motorcycle, is is what Richard Franklin said. Yeah. And quite right. Yeah. So it's a less than three-second chase scene. Well, Callum timed it to 4.5, but I don't think we started counting at the same time. Yeah, so Richard Franklin actually talked about that in the commentary. He said, here's the, here's the shortest motor chase scene ever, and it's four and a half seconds. Now, I still maintain it's possibly not legitimate, because it's only one person on a motorbike. It's not two vehicles. But also Hot Fuzz, who intentionally tried to do the shortest chase scene ever, they actually have a car chase scene, which is 3 minutes and 49 seconds. Sorry, no, sorry, no, 3.49 3. 3. seconds. Yeah, yeah, sorry. yeah. 3 minutes 49 seconds. <laughs> yeah, so there is actually a shot in Hot Fuzz, which was intentionally designed to be the shortest car chase scene ever. It had every element of the original casing. So it does pivot, but um, Well, yes, but in 1981, second. I mean, Hot Fuzz was... 
much more recent. Mm. I don't want to hear what year that came out because it sounds terrifying. And it's probably <laughs> going to be like, hey, 15 years ago. No, 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 it was only two years ago. Dear God, please. <laughs> I just came out from seeing it. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so all of that and the fact he had no idea of the three-act play, he had no idea of the way movies were meant to go, and he still manages to hit most of the beats He had no idea he couldn't afford Sean Connery. Oh. But yeah, I mean, the, its structure does really follow. Mm, it really does. And I wonder if that's, you know, he hadn't literally been taught that, but as a film person, he'd absorbed that knowledge. I mean, the three-act structure is an interesting thing in that it's probably missed out a lot, but you only really notice when it really goes astray. Yeah, yeah. Yes, you're, yeah, I imagine if, you're very right If someone right tries there. to be subversive with it or really fails badly and you suddenly think, my God, this movie's really dragging or when are they going to get to the blah or or something doesn't quite feel right, and you're sitting there kind of squirming in the chair but not knowing why. This movie, I thought, was really, really well done. It didn't drag. The dialogue was really good for most of. Yeah, I mm. thought they did an excellent job with it. I feel like they just wasted such a, such an amazing opportunity. It could have been so... Oh, yeah, they didn't need Jamie Lee Curtis at all. That was a waste <laughs> of money. They just needed an American, to, and that would tick a box. Mm. Yes, and Stacey Keach, I mean, he he's pretty much, he was working and reasonably well known, but he wasn't, he hadn't had his biggest role in Mike Hammer yet, which makes him an interesting choice for the mm. American bums on seats. But I suppose we also said a similar thing about Gregory Harrison a few episodes back. Yeah. That mm. sometimes it's just, they go, oh, look, an American, so Americans will understand that that's yes, okay. That's all we need. As opposed to really trying to drive. Look at the latest Stacey Keach movie, everybody. Yes. Yeah. Stacey Keach was bouncing back and forth between movies and TV shows at the time, too. I did a quick check, and it's movie, movie, TV show, TV movie, movie, TV series, TV series, movie, movie. So, yeah, it, it certainly wasn't, you know, it wasn't like you were getting, I don't want to say an actor, but it wasn't like you were getting a movie actor, but you were certainly getting somebody whose name was established and probably had been seen in Australia as well. Mm. But I guess they must have been pushing this for the American market. Right. Well, that explains a lot, mm. really. I mean, like we said, the miles per hour and the truck driving down the middle of the road because I couldn't decide if it was on the left or the right. Mm -hmm. yeah. you, you get that a lot on television now when they make TV shows in Canada and can't quite commit themselves to being set in Canada or the United yes. States. Oh, really? Yeah, you'll notice a lot of it in Orphan Black early on. Uh-huh. Yeah. I think X Files was filmed a lot of a lot of the original X Files was filmed in Canada. I mean, Vancouver is famously a good place to film, finance wise and everything. But yeah, as you say, they don't actually set things in Canada. Wasn't that one of the things about Scott Pilgrim versus the World that they were intentionally making it Canada as an almost like a fuck you to the American film industry? Ah. Yeah, apparently David Cronenberg does that a lot as well. His films are Canadian films, and unless he's completely left and gone somewhere else, he doesn't say I'm going to film it in Canada and pretend it's New York. He says. I'm mostly going to go home and film it in Ontario and... And pretend it's Ontario. Because <laughs> yeah. I had cool. no idea about any of this until my man said to me one day, so what Canadian television are we watching tonight? And I'm just like, what? And then he listed everything, all of my favourite shows, and told me that they were Canadian. Ah, oh, hmm. right. It is a finance thing, isn't it? Finance, tax, easy, a bunch of things like that. Hmm. Maybe weather in some places? Oh, I imagine some Canada places. would be quite... Wet and dreary, wouldn't it? Certainly, most oh, of the episode no. of the X Files. I've seen Canada that. is quite fascinating climate-wise because it gets ridiculously cold, and then you can have thirty-five degrees in summer. Oh. Yet they still have all the permafrost. They like Canberra for now. Well, 
so far. Yeah, but no, they can get minus 25. Canberra does not get that. And if they do, I am going to shoot it. <laughs> you I don't know how you shoot a town, but yes, I will. <laughs> so where were we on the storyline? God knows. <laughs> All right. So he grabs the mate. He's driving. Oh, fuck, we're still back there. <laughs> we're Jesus. trying to leave. We got to the opening credits. He grabs the mate. He hits the road. He starts driving west. The radio plays a bunch of different news stories, all of which directly affect the plot. There's yes. not a single part of that that doesn't play out at some point, That's including correct. the missing ambassador's daughter, which is, of course, Hitch, the Jamie Lee Curtis character, the escaped union boss crony person that turns out to be Fred Krugel. Uh, Fred Frugel? Fred? Yeah, yeah, Fred, Fred Frugal, Frugal. Yeah. and Frida, his wife, is the is the wife of that, and she, that's why she gets so concerned because she thinks that Stacey Keach's character is a mob boss that's come after them. Who and just then, happens course, to have a truck license? Absolutely, and then of course there's the killer, and the killer is supposedly since Queensland. I think they mention Townsville. Townsville, yes. Yeah. And he's been slaughtering girls and getting rid of them, and and it's a bloody long way, way from Townsville to Victoria to Perth. Yeah, he's doing the psycho grey nomad thing. <laughs> Maybe he's trying to ring around the country. Ah. I really just wanted to be dragging giant cock and balls now. Because I'm <laughs> fucking seven. <laughs> you wouldn't need to go all the way from Townsville to... No, to you wouldn't. Like I said, giant. It. Like That would be pretty giant. There could be a cruise involved later on. <laughs> you could do it and I suppose you could make Tasmania the sack. <laughs> Sorry, that's, that's an image maybe we shouldn't have. Would you have to kill some people in the ocean? Oh, yeah, you would. the cruise. <laughs> well, you can drop them off the edge of the Great Australian Bite because that actually makes an appearance in the film too. So, uh, yeah. And, yeah, so basically Stacey becomes convinced that something is a bit off with his van driver and slowly decides that he's obviously the killer and Jamie Lee Curtis's character that he picks up hitchhiking halfway through gets in on the whole concept of it and... I found it really interesting when they were discussing... So, Pat Quinn and Hitch were discussing the the killer and asking if... Hitch asked, did he make love to her? It's like, is make love the right kind <laughs> yeah. of phrase where we're talking about a serial killer? Yeah. For what would you'd imagine it being a, an Ausploitation movie in a genre play, a piece, it's got a really delicate sensibility, doesn't it? It does. There's, is there a fuck once? I don't think there's a single F-bomb. I don't explicitly recall one. No, we hmm. don't see any blood, except no. for the little bit on poor old Boswell's forehead, but also oh. on the killer at the end after yeah. Quinn drives his truck over the top of the van in that incredibly well-known ability of trucks to just suddenly get airborne for no reason. Yeah, there's a lot of implied stuff, like the aforementioned yeah. garroting actually happens off-screen. Mm. Yes. Yeah, yeah, intentionally yeah. cut to the bins. And jump scare. there's a lot of implied gore, like when later on Pat's really getting a bit curious, well, not curious, getting a bit freaked out and goes and checks at all these pig carcasses are in fact pig carcasses oh and there's a whole little subplot on that one too so. oh yes I, I learned a new word a new phrase yesterday yeah long pig long pig. oh yeah i i hadn't heard that before for those who also haven't heard it oh, you lucky people <laughs> <laughs> long pig is a euphemism for eating human flesh yes because Apparently we taste similar. We taste a bit like pork, and supposedly in cannibalistic tribes, human meat is often referred to as long pig or or walking bacon it or some variation. Sounds like the variation. Battle of Long Pig. It does, mm. doesn't it? Mm. Um, but and that actual shot, that shot where you're looking down the trailer and he's got those two haunches on the side mm. that 
we're not too sure what it. That was known as the long pig shot. Oh, <laughs> that's what actually Richard Franklin called it in the in the commentary. He said, "This is the long pig shot." So, mm. yeah. actually, we have the head at the end. Yeah, which was yes, very out of tone for the rest of the movie. It was, and it did look quite terrible. Yeah, and it was Perhaps not only because we watched on Blu-ray. Mm. Well, it was not actually intended. Richard Franklin actually said that he didn't want that. He wanted it to end with the two of them walking away from Perth. Yeah, he wanted a quite different ending, but despite being ahead on time in a number of other places, they still... (laughs) They still ran out of time toward the end, and it wasn't the ending that the director wanted. Mm. Yeah, he actually wanted it to just sort of end with them going away, and the producers actually demanded this sort of head-in-the-bucket shot, some kind of horror pickup. So... Because the idea, I think, was that those two haunches right at the very end that were already thawed, the theory was is maybe they're Hitch's body, is the theory. Because so, by this stage, Jamie Lee Curtis... Except they look nothing like a human carcass. No. I guess he was supposed to be freaking out, but I would think you would pretty readily recognise... That's big. Yeah. Yeah, we didn't get it at all. In fact, when we were listening to the director's commentary after watching the film the first time around, we looked at each other and were like, did you even get that at all? I was like, no, no. nothing. That I got, but even the people I was watching with us saying, didn't he know that pigs and humans look different? Yeah, yeah. He's an educated man. I mean, he used to be a college professor, evidently, that is great. But <laughs> other than that, apparently he's still an educated man. Apparently not a professor of zoology. Yeah. No. <laughs> <laughs> or cannibalism. Um, <laughs> gastronome. I mean, I suppose if you were really behind it, you could say he's so freaked out he doesn't want to check closely in case it's true. Mm. And that might be the intention, but it is something you kind of have to bring to it. Mm. Yeah. But he's also wigging by that point, isn't he? Yeah. That's towards the end of his drive, and then he carries on that monologue with himself, which is interesting because supposedly the original monologue, everything you hear was meant to be saying it out loud, and they cut it for timing or whatever because he was, you know, he couldn't run the whole dialogue. And then Stacey Keach himself suggested that maybe the bits that they cut could be the inner monologue. So when he's talking to himself and sometimes he's actually saying it out loud and sometimes it's his own brain. Mm, it's really well done. It's all that one piece of dialogue and he's actually back and forthing, kind of Winston style. Oh, not Winston. Um, what's the the ball from Castaway? That's Winston. Is it Wilson. 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 Sorry. Yeah, Wilson. Yes. yeah, sort of Wilson style carrying on half the conversation. And that's actually a really good moment for your take of it's him all along. Like he's you know, hallucinated to begin with. This is days later. He's still not slept. And mm. now he's talking to himself. Mm. Yeah. I'm telling you, that's all, all the all the bits were there. And I was, I think for the first time ever, I was sort of disappointed because when I listened to, when I looked at some of the special features about this, there just doesn't seem to be any awareness of that as a potential subtext whatsoever. And I mean, yeah. I guess maybe it's not that obvious after all, but I was like, oh, it could so be, it could so be. This could be really, really clever. In a weird way, maybe I discounted because I've seen so many The Killer Was Me All Along films. Oh, yeah. 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 Actually, maybe yeah. that was what it was. Maybe it was the fact that I'm just so used to seeing that that I kind of just assumed this one would be one too. Mm. Whereas I was kind of internally rebelling against the concept. <laughs> no, goddammit, killer is killer. He drives a terrible van. He must be the bad guy. <laughs> well, I was expecting it that we were going to find out it wasn't necessarily the van driver, but mm. I didn't go so far as to think that it was... That was weird. The, the driver of trucks. Yes. yes. But I suppose sometimes you second-guess so much that the blatantly obvious becomes a twist. Well, yes, you're yeah. exactly right. But you did have Star Wars 
syndrome there where you only had seven characters in the whole film, so there wasn't really going to be that many different people to choose from. Hmm. <laughs> you didn't mind any chance happen to see a guy in a green van? Yeah, why? wonder why he didn't pick me up. You sound a little disappointed that he didn't. Hey, how old are you anyway, Hitch? Old enough. How old are you? Old enough to be your father. My father's 67. Oh. You know, maybe he makes love to him first. Hitch, does your 67-year-old father know you accept rides from truck drivers? My name isn't Hitch. Does your mother know you're gone? She's dead. My father loses the war. So you ran away? No, I walked away. Well, Hitch, don't you think it might be a good idea to call him and let him know that you're all right? God, maybe that's how he gets his rocks off. Your father? No, you're Mr. Smith or Jones. You know, the Boston Strangler was on a sex trip. God, maybe make love to him afterwards. Oh, come on, Hitch. Well, why do you think he does it? I don't know. I mean, I really don't know that he does. I must mean, get carried away about this. Are you kidding? It's the most fun I've had all afternoon. Yeah, so she was 21 years old, Jamie Lee Curtis was, when she did this. Not her character mm. was. Yeah. Was she as well? What's that? Are you saying Jamie Lee Curtis herself was? Because her character was 21. Yeah, yeah, no, she was as well. So she was contemporary, contemporarily aged. Mm. Yeah. So um, how old was she when she did Halloween? 18 or 19, I think. Okay. So I'm just so used to what they now call Dawson casting. That the idea yeah. she was a teenager when she played a teenager. That Ah, yeah. Dawson casting. I hadn't heard that before, but I was picturing Luke Perry in Beverly Hills 90210. Who was Same thing, 40? yeah. Or <laughs> well, yeah. well, have you ever seen the original Carrie film? Oh, which well, I would have, but God, a million years ago. Is it one of the episodes of The Simpsons where so-and-so boy actor who stars as the young heartthrob in such-and-such such high school and he smiles for camera and his face just all wrinkles up? Tends as he's to leather. Uh, yeah, pretty much. I'm actually 72. <laughs> in Carrie, which for those who haven't seen is one of the instigating things is when a teenager has her first period the lead actor is 26 oh wow Jesus. gosh yeah so she's been held back to school a bit yes true i mean i know that the character was quite late in getting her period but 26 is um pretty much beyond high school you'd think in fact they're really not even trying to make anyone look like teenagers i'm wondering if that was on purpose or they just i don't know they just didn't care <laughs> Well, yeah, that's it's hard to know, isn't it? Because, you know, Stephen King, much as he's a crazy person who I love, I can't read his books because they're too scary, but I love his Twitter, that people really hurt his stories when they make them into movies unless they're his short stories. Yeah, the short yeah. stories go really well. They're brilliant. I found him someone that he does better if there's someone keeping him in line. So keeping he's... Stephen King in line? Yeah. Oh. Does he get too involved in the making of his own films, do you reckon? Oh, not so much the films, but especially after he's really, really famous, <clears throat> the books he just does whatever and the editors go, oh, you're Stephen King, can we like? Yeah, yes, uh, Stephen King sneezes and a book comes out. Yeah. That's pretty it's, much the It's case. about a lamb, a scary lamb that kills people. <laughs> you're not even trying anymore, are you, Stephen? Have it on my desk by Thursday. <laughs> yeah. No, but I liked, um, I mean, obviously the, the big ones like Shawshank Redemption and Green Mile were just amazing. And Stand By Me was really good too. Oh, Stand By Me so. is excellent. It's actually one of those things, isn't it? The, the ones that are the best are the ones that you go, holy shit, that's a Stephen King book. Yes, especially a short story. Mm. Yeah, well, it's short stories, again, something keeping in line because it can only be so long. Mm. Mm. Yeah. 
So we were discussing if this was, you know, American or Australian at a couple of times with miles per hour, etc. The graffiti in the bathroom, okay, so British people would certainly know the word pufta. I don't know about Americans, mm. but root is in shagging. Yeah, root is one that's really, even I, now. Even now, yeah. I wouldn't expect Americans to get that. No. I wonder I, if it was digitally changed for the American release. Oh, God, I don't think anything was digital back then. <laughs> well, funnily <laughs> enough, at the time that they, they made this film, 1981, which this blows my mind, supposedly there wasn't a decent reprojection setup available in Australia. They had to get one in from the States, and the guy who actually ran it also came across from America as well. So... Yeah, this was a low-budge production. You're a bit behind. Yep. Yeah, well, this is about the Australian film industry really mm. trying to mm. properly get going. Mm. Yeah. Because reprojection wasn't shiny, new, mm. cutting edge at this point. No, and in fact, they talked about the, in the production that a lot of the shots that they wanted to do, they could only do as reprojection because if they tried to do them the way they did them on Homicide, which was just strap a camera to a car and do yes. it, then it would have been ridiculously expensive and, and just crazy impossible for the... So all of the... Also, in, if you strap a camera to a Leyland P76, you're only going 20k an hour. <laughs> well, if it's got a boat attached. a terrible person. Oh, gosh, um, no. But, okay, yeah, no, you're right. I, I absolutely am, but I'm not far wrong on this. No, you're really not that far wrong on this. We certainly have some P76 lovers that are just going to hate down on this podcast now. Um, I'm not saying I don't love the P76. It was, it was before not, its time. And I'm not it was saying I don't love it at all. Slayland, Australia were great and made fantastic cars. You could fit a 54-gallon drum in the back of a P76. I mean, if you, you take out actually. the elephant. <laughs> I have no idea where you're going with that. And I'm happy with that. Excellent. Good. I've only heard of them because they used to make jokes about the one that could have been champions, about it being a rubbish car. Oh, yes. Didn't uh, Bush Tucker Man drive a Leyland truck? He drove a four-wheel drive Land Rover, yes. Oh, a Land Rover. Yeah, Leyland For some reason Land I thought Rover. he had... Oh, right, right, of course. Okay, yeah. yes. yes. Yeah. Leyland made a lot of other things, but it's the P76 that... Yes, the P76. Australia's Edsel is the, is the way it's often described. Anyway. Anyway, so... A lot of the secondary characters were actually acted by stunt people too. So Killer is one of the stuntmen for the film. Captain Careful is a stuntman too. And they actually, you know, cast a lot of these characters as stunt people so they could act as well. I think both of the cops were stunt people too, weren't they? The oh, one of those cops with their identity crisis. Yeah. What nationality am I? Another intentional step to try and... Americanise. Yeah, to de-Australianise the film was to make these cops kind of a hybrid... More militant uniform, Darian yeah. um, accent, and, and uh, a car that didn't exist. Yeah, that was another thing too. So the Ford Interceptor that they use, which is a sort of weird, souped-up version of an Australian road car, was uh, so awesome that apparently when the cops did finally come and visit their film site, they took one look at the police car and said, oh, when are we getting those? They were blown away by how awesome it I was. I am going to point out the cops weren't actually meaning to visit their film site. They just hadn't you know, shut down roads for various things and cops eventually came along to see what the hell is going yeah. on. Because you didn't do that in Australian film back then. Well, just... look, why would you even need to do that on the Nullarbor? What else is happening there? <laughs> Especially in 1981. I don't know what time of year it was, but... There are terrifying floating giant-headed roos. There are, yes. It's that giant kangaroo head that appeared out of the middle of nowhere when he was in his hallucination mode. I feel like we haven't let you talk very much. You've been quite That's quiet on true. this one. Sorry. <laughs> I've been teching, but... Oh, right. Okay. My apologies. <laughs> I was going to say, well, back then on Nullarbor, easy enough to see someone coming from 
a ways off. Yeah. 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 You set yourself three or four mile up the road with a CB radio and you can just get a ton of shots. Yeah. yeah. Nowadays you'd call that guerrilla filmmaking, but then it was mm. just practical. <laughs> then it was just filmmaking the way they did it in Australia. Let's talk about the end. So we've already talked about the fact that they made, you know, the notionally the, the shortest chase, which was when he kind of falls off the motorbike. Reality news. Yes. Which is kind of cool because it's another one of those things is you always, the hero always can do anything. They can pick yeah. up any type of gun. They can jump into a helicopter. It's kind of nice that he sort of jumps onto a motorbike and then instantly falls on his ass. It's, it's so, in some ways, he's a real anti-hero, not in that kind of anti-hero sure. way of being nasty. He's genuinely a kind of a, let's take a lot of the... God, we wouldn't call them tropes back then, I guess just the way film was. It's and like any time someone in film steals a car, no one ever has to adjust the seat. Mm. I love that this bloke grabbed a motorbike and then realised you couldn't really mm. ride it. Yeah. yeah, you didn't get the, can you ride a motorbike? Let's find out. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I can't now. <laughs> okay, now we're good. So Hitch gets kidnapped, gets stuck in the van, although then they're just driving down the road having a conversation. Yeah. Which is weird. Yeah. At some point then she does get stuffed back into a sack into the back of the van. Stacey's character starts, Quid starts hallucinating because he's been on the road for so long and he's so unsure of what's going on. And, and As a head full of serial bad. killer. Yes, yes, true. Oh, we missed one of the spots. We missed the point where they actually camp for the night in the middle of the desert. Oh, yes, where the rabbits took over. Yeah, which is a real story. That's a place called Eucla, E-U-C-L-A, I believe yeah, it is. that's it. Was actually genuinely a relay station for the overground radio line. Mm. And pretty much the story Stacey tells the truth. What is this place, anyway? Hmm? Oh, it's old telegraph station. There used to be a town of about 700 people who lived here. What happened to them? They were devoured by the dreaded Oryctologus cuniculus. Sounds erotic. Listen. Listen very carefully. You can hear him out there. Munching. Is he animal, mineral, or vegetable? Or is it man? Advancing like an army of plastic dentures, devouring his fellow man. And woman. And woman. Thank you. What is that? Kuna. <laughs> Kuna clunk. Cuniculus. <laughs> what is it anyway? A rabbit. A bunny rabbit. No, I'm serious. In the uh, 1800s, there was a plague of rabbits here. They ate all the vegetation, and the sand dunes began to advance. That's when everybody left. I guess that's why I like it here. Rabbits? You're weird. Apparently not quite complete. They had a big rabbit plague, which they tried to fix by bringing a lot of cats. cats. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> no, right? This is the sound of yeah, Australian. As much as we all love cats. But I just feel terrible as Australian because people think this country is so tough. It's like we lost an emu war and now we've lost two Rabbit rabbits. Ball. Followed by kittens. Yes. And cane toads. We lost the cane toad war. No, we have not lost the cane toad war yet. We've so lost the cane toad war. <laughs> yeah, FNQ's pretty much occupied. Yeah. <laughs> Where's the Brisbane line? Well, they're in New South Wales now. That happened Ooh. a few years ago that I think they found cane toads living naturally in New South Wales. I've been to Finals Queensland, and if here you saw a cane toad or a frog out there, you go, what on earth is this doing here? There it's just 
people have cane toads oh. in their backyard. That's just a thing. Yeah, yeah. we lived in Mackay. November and I lived in Mackay, and in fact, we actually, the, the, first house. the first house we were in, the very first night we were there, and it was before we had sort of curtains set up on sliding doors, and we were there, and I looked out, and there was just on the edge of the light, there was this weird little bit of movement, and I went, oh, what's that? Turned on the, and it was almost like a horror film, turned on the yeah, floodlights the for the outside, entire backyard Carpet of cane toads. covered in cane toads. So... Yeah, we, the only thing we didn't have was that twinky-twinky violin music that happens the moment that you well, see a lot spiders. of those creepy ones. Oh, okay. But because I'm a <laughs> terrible human being going up to Queensland, we, there's very little we took with us. It was just what we could fit in the car, but we were given a golf club just for the cane toads. <laughs> Though I don't recall us using it. No, it was a right-handed golf club and I bat left-handed, uh-huh. so to speak. <laughs> anyway. Anyway. So, yeah, so they actually stop at this point which has got a building that's being reabsorbed into the desert, and that's a genuine location. So it's a real place. It's a beautiful shot. Mm. But Callum was saying the shot is really close. Tight. 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 That was the Mm. word you used. Mm. Because they're in the middle of nowhere. You would expect to see a whole lot of further MMBA. Miles and miles of bloody Australia. (laughs) That's a Lenboanism. Yeah. And, yeah, it does seem, because I remember looking at that one shot, in particular there's what looks to be a long shot, you have the building on the far left of screen, you've got them in the middle, you've got the truck and a tree on the far right of screen, and you've got a bit of a bush in the foreground. Everything in the frame is covered, whereas I would have expected, especially with a Panavision-style lens, because the ratio is, what, 2.35 to 1, you know, you'd have that in the middle and then you'd have a ton of nothing. Mm. Surely there wouldn't have been anything else around. So I just thought, it, yeah, it seemed, just sort of janked a little bit. It was a bit... I mean, it was nicely framed and all, but it was just like it didn't quite seem to suggest that you were somewhere where there was nothing else around. Was the killer baiting Pat Quid? This is the... I don't know. That was the other well, reason Well, they stopped like... for their evening and the van has stopped at the same, almost the same place, well, right nearby. It's like, is this like a serial killer who's teasing, trying to get caught, can you outsmart me? yeah. If so, what's the relationship with Pat Quint? Yeah. And certainly kind of helped matters, or rather did help matters in terms of the theory that, you know, he kidnapped his passenger, his sidekick. Yes. yes. Very strange. Like in that very first shot where he's, he's burying what we now find is probably definitely some part of that first hitchhiker. And Pat sort of jumps out of the car after Fred Frugal tells him that there's a guy digging a hole and he's looking through the binoculars and the guy he's looks like, we can him. clearly fucking see you, man. Yeah. You're and, right there. And he looks straight down the binoculars. The killer looks straight down the binoculars of Pat. So Pat pulls them down and whistles. Like, <laughs> <laughs> it's like sort of over five miles. Yeah, Is that guy spotted me killing? Oh, no, it's just whistling. <laughs> <laughs> Which I did love that. But yeah, I mean, and then the shot, yeah, when Jamie Lee Curtis goes to her call of nature and is up on the hill. Looks down and there's the green van. There's the green van. And the lightning shots for in, just as a oh, curious thing. Oh, the lightning shots. Yes, this is fascinating. Did you agree that they looked really good? Yeah. It turns out what they did is they parked the van, locked the camera down, took some shots during the day, waited until dark, and then took some more shots during dark, and then just flicked it back and forth. Oh, that is awesome. Isn't, isn't it great? It? Oh. That's so cool. No so, wonder it looks so good. That's because... Yeah, we were just like, how are they getting this depth? How are they getting this detail? This much light on the desert. And that's how. So there you go. Wow. Like, like you're saying, it's one of those just How great is it we can be blown away by a movie-making technique from 1981? Yeah, and such a basic one. This is amazing. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, in some ways, you get blown away because they have to be more innovative Mm. than now. I mean, while 
computer tricks and CGI, certainly art in themselves, they simply didn't exist for the most mm. part back then. Mm. So you had to figure out an entirely different way. It didn't matter how hard you wanted your tech people in the computers to work because they simply weren't there doing things. Yeah, yeah, we can't fix that. We, we, you know, we have to do so much in camera. The whole thing we were talking about, the reprojection setup. So they did a couple of things with the reprojection that were really innovative. For example, the shot where killer is there with Jamie Lee Curtis in the car and they're talking the camera pans across the back of the van and into the rearview mirror where you, or the side mirror where you see killer's face looking back at Pat the way that they ensured that the road stayed with them is that they physically moved the reprojection screen along with mm. the camera so that they're actually moving in synchronicity across the side of the van and in the commentary the director's talking this is this really major thing and we're watching you going really yeah, it's like, wow. I did, it did totally... you, you put a lot more thought into this than is actually <laughs> obvious on screen. Which is what a director should do, damn it. Well, yes, um, you're right. You are right. And the other one was when the sun setting, the way they did that is they just got standard day shot and then they put a physical filter across the projection that was actually being projected onto the screen. So the colour of that projection is actually done in shot sort of between the projector and the back screen and on really the, at nice. the time it was done. So that was when uh, the director sort of really asked him to crank it up to uber red and you get that weird mega red with the weird glowing eyes of Pat at one point. Yeah, but it went really well, lights. I thought. Yeah, there were a lot of clever tricks for getting that desert feel down. Yeah, and I suppose it is, as you say. It's, it's 1.8 million. That includes two Americans mm. and their insurance and all those things. Which is very. They did a bloody good job. I reckon. No, that's true. Yeah, I'll give them that. But we were talking about the sort of the car chase that as it ends in Perth, which is actually Melbourne. They wanted to film a car chase that got slower and slower. And in fact, the guy who was the stunt coordinator, who was also one of the main stunt coordinators for Homicide, had always wanted to do it, and they just would never let him do it on television. So he finally got the chance to do this car chase. Stunt coordinator, aka the owner of Boswell. Yes, (laughs) who was also the truck and the Boswell's name, Killer. Which is apparently a bit of an because it was such a gentle-natured dog. <laughs> Sorry, Callum, back to you. I yeah, interrupted. No, that's right. Yeah, is they wanted to film a car chase that got slower and slower, which is why he slowly leads him down into those back alleys. And eventually squeezes and she yeah. goes and, and, and the you audience watch the speedo going down. The audience is sucking their gut in trying to yeah. get through. <laughs> <laughs> why is it this the night's pass from Harry Potter? Yes, and then they trap a police car in the back of the truck with the most incredibly oh, strong bolts in the world. That really bugged me. Did that bug you as well? The, the bonnet of the police car, there was a light... I think, attached to the bonnet, yeah. a siren attached to the bonnet. Oh, yeah. That got yeah. jammed under. And they're trying with all this horsepower to reverse out and this little thing attached to bloody aluminium or whatever. tiny siren that's been bolted on is stopping the entire car from going. Yeah. It's apparently stronger than the car and the truck put together yes, somehow. <laughs> but I guess it adds to the air of frustration towards the end of that chase that you can't quite fit through the gap and now the car is got stuck into the truck and it can't quite back up because this little thing and you yeah. do feel those times you know you tried to like get something through a door and it's just got this little sticky outy bit and it's not yeah. difficult and you're maybe not even angry per se but you're very frustrating yes yeah and you don't have that other person or your friend saying no just twist it a bit just you'll be pivot, fine. pivot. <laughs> and in fact the whole thing's like that because you're also going the killer is so close but the police think our hero is the killer yes yep and yeah. fortunately, they pretty much take his word for it when he says he's not. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they take his and Kitch his word for it, but there's only so much well, to Well, the other on. blue's yeah. got blood on him and Pat doesn't. Yeah. I guess that was the one last little bit where my last little hope 
was that how are we going to see this is when he's actually strangling him with a piece of wire. So at the very, very end, Quid is actually strangling the killer or is about to strangle the killer with a piece of wire. And it's like this coming full circle. And it just... Because apparently how handy guitar strings. Did anyone know they had that little loop there? Guitar stringing people probably do. Guitarists. Guitarists, even. Yeah, they're the yeah. ones players. There we go. Jesus. <laughs> Imagine how awkward that first murder would have been if she'd been playing an accordion or something instead. God, yes. <laughs> you know what I mean? That harpy. Oh, good God. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm just trying to think of down the accordion murders as my next great work. <laughs> yes. Everybody's got an APB ad on Weed Al. <laughs> So was there other things? Was there stuff that you were going to say about this one? What's in your notes? Certainly compared to the most recent film we watched, it is a lot more straightforward of plot. Mm. Oh, yes. Yeah, I'm just taking a look back through my notes. We I've got some notes saying, oh, it's before energy drink. It's probably about the pills thing. Yes, there was actually mention of the pills, which he doesn't take in the end. He specifically says he doesn't do those. Well, no, later in the thing he says, maybe I should take those or something along those lines. Maybe mm. I need some of those pills. There was something I noted about the soundtrack, because apparently the soundtrack was nominated for Best Australian yes. Score. There's a lot of it which is quite clearly pulling classical music. In fact, Hulse Planet Suite, the Mars Symphony? No. What's the what's the individual part? Anyway, Mars from the Hulse Planet Suite. Ringer of War. Really clearly sequences of that, that final chase music and in well particular. And well done, too. Yeah. Oh, I... Thank you, you didn't think so? Oh, come well, on. I didn't mean you. I meant the bloody music. Oh, no, okay. Yes, well done. You picking it. No, I... Yeah, that wasn't actually how I was taking it. I was like, <laughs> well, I was actually trying to say, I was like, well, is it well done? Because, I mean, people have already criticised John Williams for leaning too heavily on classical. And Star Wars in particular also takes a lot from and this those is something you said too. planet suites. Mm-hmm. And this one is a different one, but it's even more, I mean, to the point where I almost thought that he'd actually incorporated some pieces of that music. Yeah. But the bits that were in between... There was a lot of, a, of a, lot of homages. There were. There were a lot of homages. And the bits that were in between, though, were very interesting. There were some sequences which almost reminded me of the incidental music in War Games. The bits that aren't quite military, you, you mm. hear it. And it's. I think War Games was a very similar time frame that it was made. So The score behind the scene at the Meat Depot, whatever it's called, when oh, he's yes. picking up the pigs, that's, <laughs> it's got a kind of military back into a very stirring sort of... It really does. Call to arms sort of thing. Something is warmed up for something, and, of course, in this case, it's driving across the country, being chased by a serial killer, but you do well, get... Keeping pace, oddly, with a serial killer. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> Much better way of putting it. <laughs> uh, or having a serial killer occasionally overtake you, and then you overtake them, and then you both park together. And just out of curiosity, where were the killer and Hitch in that roadside lay-by where he follows them into the bush and he thinks he hears them having it off. Oh, no, he thinks having he hears the couple. I that phrase in a bajillion years. The, the, um, the just married couple. And it's that's, the just married that's couple. That's who we didn't ma- yeah. mention. Sucker. Yes. Oh, <laughs> oh, that was classy. But, yeah, when he actually goes back and then smashes the window of the van to look inside and see the horrifying chocolate cake and sandwich and apple, where are Killer and Jamie Lee Curtis at the time? Because Driving? Well, no, 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 because, he, I mean, he smashes the van. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's yeah. a fair question. I hmm. don't know. Maybe... Oh, hang on. No, sorry, I've actually just answered my own question. Given the actual storyline of the film, Killer is currently putting the previous victim's head in his truck and Jamie Lee Curtis is now wrapped up in a hessian bag in the back of the van so she can't call for help. Sleeping bag, isn't she in? 
I'll sleeping bag. Yes. Because apparently those are inescapable. Yeah, might, yeah, that's a good point. You might, yeah. yeah. But nonetheless, out of the way for when he comes snooping. Yes, that's yeah. a good point. But out of the way, but at the same time, not in a position where they're going to have shouts at him because he smashed through at their window. That makes sense. Well, he's checking on the killer, the killer going, oh, well, I know what I'm going to do with these parts. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Got to get this head to Perth. Yes. Oh, God. It was so... And what was it? It was a Why guitar is someone sp- driving a boat from Victoria to... WA. That's a very good question. I have no idea. It would probably literally be cheaper just to go yeah. and buy a boat on the other side. <laughs> I'm actually just seeing who wrote the music for War Games. I've got no idea who wrote the music for War no. Games. <laughs> Mind you, the guy who had the boat, he did strike Captain me Captain Careful. As, yeah. Captain Careful, yes. With his Captain Careful personality, he also struck me as the sort of person that if he decided that what he was going to do was to drive the boat from one side of the country to the other, that once that was in his mind, that was what he was going to do, and he why didn't want to hear he, any different. Why does he try and cut off the truck? I thought he just got the shits. I kind of assumed... Oh, is that all it was? I kind of assumed that he'd been overtaken a couple of times, he was sick and tired of these speeding louts doing their speeding louty stuff, and so he decided that he and Lady Luck too uh, yeah, were gonna... Yeah, I got that point that some people just don't like being overtaken on the road because. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And he was going to show Queer or well, yeah. of course he has no idea he's in there, but show the truck and... In a big old, big old boat that he was going to block Quid with. Whatever and... happened to Lady Luck 1? Oh, sad days. Who knows? Yeah, there was one other shot when, towards the beginning, when he's sort of driving down the desert and they have that incredible long shot showing the haze on the road. Apparently that was shot with a 5,000mm lens. So, uh, yeah. Which would have been quite expensive, I would imagine, back then. Explain like I'm five. Okay, so the... (laughs) One of my favourite Reddits. The length of the lens is the amount of telescopic value that it can have. Mm -hmm. And when you use more telescoping, you actually kind of squash stuff together. So if you're a very wide lens, Mm -hmm. you have very narrow depth of field. So stuff is... You you sort of have a thing, and then the front and the back seems quite far away from each other. Right. As you zoom... You bring, you bring the background and the foreground closer, so Got you it. can end up bringing stuff in. And that's where you get the, I think they call it the crash zoom or something, which is what's used in Hitchcock zoom. Yeah, the Hitchcock zoom. Is oh, it wait, the Hitchcock? No. oh, wait, are we about to describe the same thing? No, I don't know if we are. I think we're just going, because I'm talking about the particular zoom they used where you pull the camera out at the same time as you zoom in. It's called a Hitchcock zoom or a Hitchcock dolly zoom. zoom. Yes. Oh, yeah, that's right, the, because it was used in Vertigo, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah, that's Well, this sorry, makes yeah, a lot of sense since yeah, apparently sorry. so much of this was based on Rear Window and other Hitchcock. Yeah, he loved him some Hitchcock. And there's a ton of references. Apparently, the porn magazine is a reference to Psycho yes. or something, I think. Yeah. And lots of, lots of Hitchcocky stuff. In fact, I think Richard Franklin, when he was at film school, was actually the head of the Alfred Hitchcock fan society, society for the school yes. and, and got a lot of Hitchcock's films on. I believe that. Especially to, to show. But, yeah, so that one shot, by being on an incredibly long lens, means you've got this bizarre kind of foreshortening of the front and the back. And Excellent. Makes it look all very Love weird. it. Mm. Yeah. Sorry, I just feel like I mansplained. No, you're, you're, you no, you're the photographer <laughs> who also sometimes films things but lots of photographs things. So, yes, true. So, yeah, you do get to explain that to we little women. Yes, <laughs> especially, since one of them, um, especially since one of them asked you in so many words. Yeah, true. Yeah. Okay, yes, yes, explain to me like I'm five, I believe, is the phrase. Yes. But then, you, you know... You and if you haven't gone to that, Reddit, it's great. You should. Yeah. <laughs> 
You were about to pick it up, Daria. You were about to sort of say, were you explaining the same thing? And in fact, you were more right than I was. So, yeah. Oh, my God. We don't have to fucking measure rightness. You were both right. <laughs> no. She was righter than I was. Oh, for the love of God. I was less right, which is more right. No, Shall I measure no. your inferiority complex? <laughs> God. So, yeah, so I think that was that was pretty much everything. Oh, uh, the mystery wire, which was a bit of a revelation. Oh, from yes. The... Having 75 kilos of wire under his rig. Yeah. And they were saying it's from the boat. I was like, well, no, I don't think the boat had 75 kilos yeah. of wire that were just going to get mm. stuck. So the 75 kilos we know relates to the two additional pieces of meat. So he has two extra slabs than he's meant to. Okay, two slabs of pig that size is going to be far more than 75 kilos. Well, isn't he just 75 kilos over the limit? Yes. So, oh, okay. So it, it could be that he, without the two extra, he would be some way under the limit. Oh, oh okay, that yes, thank sense. you. That I works. took that the 75 totally kilos works. as being 75 kilos more than he should be. So, yeah. But anyway, mm. it would all be the Mary Jane that he was smuggling. <laughs> the oh. one-armed man who you didn't notice was one-armed because the shot was too tight. Yeah, it's only... Just as he was leaving, it was like... Yeah, does that dude yeah. have one arm for no reason? Yeah. And, well, apparently for no reason, because there wasn't a great deal of... Well, it's not like the actor had one arm and they really wanted that actor. No, it was a two-armed man. intentionally that... made him... Yes. Yeah, so I would imagine just simply another nod to Hitchcock at that point. Mm. And, of course, Hitch's Richard name Kimmel. is apparently also a nod to Hitchcock. Well, of course. Yes. Sorry, that's how to say this music. Yes. No, no, yes, no, you are quite right. Yeah. What else we got? I did have a note here about how much more shocking a pet dingo would have been in 1981. Really? Yeah, because that's when... Oh, God, Lindy Chamberlain! Well, it hasn't happened yet, but that's... Oh, that was 82, was it? Yeah, but also, I do remember when dingoes were just seen as these terrible, scary things. Bringers of disease, were, were they, as well? Yeah, vicious bringers of disease and... I love them. I think they're wonderful. I'd love to have a dingo. I've never had a dog, but dingoes. Because mm. I had... A, yeah, it's quiet. I used to have a book around this time. Basically, it was a mini encyclopedia of dog breeds. Yeah. And each dog breed got a page of, you know, temperament, good with size, parental medical problems, etc., etc. The dingoes page was just... Don't. Yeah, don't. Just this this, this don't. is a vicious dog band for domestic keeping in Australia. Not and they're often And... And all native animals are banned from domestic no. owning, and also that's not technically a domestic, uh, a native animal. But anyway, oh. no, it was actually uh, it was actually earlier. Seventeenth of August, nineteen eighty, was the Azaria Chamberlain. Oh, uh, Azaria. sorry, my mistake. Azaria. So there we go. Yeah. So wow. Very much so that that makes sense when they talk about the dingo cult. Mm. How absolutely terrifying. Wow. So it would have been peak because dingoes were already seen as pretty terrifying. Oh, that's yeah. awful. And then one takes a baby, so. I spoke to someone not long ago. Oh, this is so off topic. Someone who believed that Lindy Chamberlain killed the child. This is in 19 flipping what? Someone still said, nah, she did it. It's like, oh, that's been through the police a lot of times now. I think we can safely relax that it was a dingo. Mm. Anyway. Yeah. yeah. I'll keep all this in mind when we review Pandemonium. Ah, ah. yes, definitely. The one other thing I was going to say is that I think we may... The order on this is random as. It's just what we feel like we want to take a look at next. But I think we possibly drop the ball a bit. There's enough about Patrick to do with this. So, for example, Sneezy Rider is played by the actor who played Patrick 
in Richard Franklin's previous film, Patrick, funnily enough. Uh, oh, well, there's also the he's... discussion about the name Pat Quid, like Pat, Patrick Quid, ha ha, now I have money. Yes. <laughs> Which I guess is at least better than Pat Cash. That's kind of hilarious. <laughs> oh my god, he, you're right. After decimalisation, he is Pat Cash. Yeah. They should get him to star in a reboot. Yeah, which is why... Because I remember thinking the motorcyclist was an incredibly striking actor for some dude who's just this bizarre little extra. Oh yes, when we uh, saw him with his helmet off and you yeah, could see his eyes. Yeah, eyes. And that's because, you know, yes. Because he's used to playing comatose psychokinetics. Mm, who, when he opens his eyes... Actually, now... Is the Patrick in the Australian film the one that never opens his eyes, or is that the one in the yeah, French reboot? Yeah, okay, cool, right. Yeah. There's a French reboot? Some French film, but there was I think there was one movie that was meant to never open his eyes. I don't know. That might be nothing. Disregard. Well, um, at some later date, yeah. we will go through all of that. But we'll definitely check out Patrick at some point, because Patrick Indeed. is also a classic, classic exploitation. So yeah, so I guess that always comes back to that first question, which is, do we consider this an exploitation movie? Yes, I... It's exploitation has the you know exploitation in it, mm. and it just doesn't feel exploitative. Well, not necessarily, and I... that's just my lame definition. So no, the only reason I would counter that is it depends because I reckon you could absolutely argue that this would exploit the viewer. It was marketed as a slasher film. Okay, it yep. was marketed with the American with actors, and then apparently when it was it was a slow burn thriller instead which was, I think, quite a significant difference. And, in fact, the director actually said that he felt that it was marketed poorly. And yes. if they had actually marketed it diff- differently... But, of course, the director's going to say return. that if they only yeah. make $100,000. Yeah, true. <laughs> there does seem to be a theme in films we've covered thus far that we hear that they, one of the reasons it did or didn't make money was because they had difficulty marketing yes. it. Yes. Yeah. I mean, Cars Day Paris, there was... What are they marketing that as? Yeah, I mean, Cars Day Paris was crazy. I mean, there was like nothing. You, you. But what just can you do get. with a movie like Cars That Ain't Paris? Yeah, I don't know. Just accept that that's what the 1970s are like and market it as another weird film that just doesn't happen to star the Beatles. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, no, I think in that instance, I don't know. To me, I would say this is almost classic exploitation in that it seems. Oh, I think we already had this discussion. Yeah, yeah. We've, for me, it ticks all the boxes. It ticks every box of how they made it how they marketed it or failed to market it. The fact that it didn't really do very well, that may or may not be a requirement, but it very much is capitalised. But the only thing is it really doesn't wear its Australianness on its sleeve very much, does it? Not as much, no. Yeah, but I will back you that it exploits the audience. Oh, yeah, big time. Yeah. In fact, that was one of the things that Quentin Tarantino says when he was talking about exploitation, is that you had to feel ripped off. As far as he was concerned, it wasn't a genuine <laughs> exploitation movie if you didn't feel a little bit ripped off at the end that you oh, didn't. We need to put that in the intro. That's a really great part of the definition. Yeah, that's, a, that's actually a really good point. Mm. Him saying. Quentin, it's Pat Tarantino. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> And I will say that all the Australian accents were a lot better than his in frickin' Django Unchained. Ouch. Oh, have you heard his Australian accent? Of course I did not watch that. You really need to watch Django Unchained. It's incredibly rare for an American to be able to do a good Australian accent. Uh, Incredibly rare, even now. True. I can't immediately think of a case of it occurring. No. We well, any... we were just discussing the Lindy Chamberlain case, so yeah, that yeah. brings us to... A Cry in the Dark slash Evil Angels. Mm. What? I was going, going for the... Oh, no, guys, Meryl Streep, sorry. I was going for Meryl Streep's name there. Yeah, Meryl Streep, yeah. Oh, yeah, I thought yeah, you wanted yeah, the film yeah, name. Yeah, 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 yeah. Sorry, yeah, in the film, yeah. Oh, sorry, um, yeah, no, Angels. I was trying to go for uh, Meryl Streep's name that I was know, a, did a, she do eluding it? me at the time. She was quite good. Hmm. 
It was certainly better than anybody else had been to that point. Yeah. However, I will say just one last little thing about the film. Talk about accents. In the bar scene in the um, yeah, roadside hotel, the guy, the bartender, was deliberately chosen as a Chips Rafferty lookalike. Yes. And he was told to speak with a really strong Australian accent. And in fact, most of the Australian characters were told to speak quite clearly with their Aussie accents. Neither here nor there to the local sport. They shoot them on sight. The law. You wouldn't want to break the law, would you, mate? Previously in Patrick, they'd made it with that understanding that you needed to make what they called Queen's English speaking. So most of the people mm. in that film apparently speak with a very well-pronounced accent, and they were still dubbed over for the American release, and apparently Richard Franklin got the shit yeah, that. Yeah, fuck it. <laughs> and he's like, well, if they're going to do it anyway, we might as well do it for the Australian audience. And so a lot of the Australian characters got real strong, strong accents. Which, for their location, they would. Which makes sense. Yeah. The only way to be strong if they went out to Queensland. Pretty much. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I got oh, rural WA, that'll do it. Yeah, no, it's got a lot of family from rural Queensland. Oh, yeah. I talk to my mom's family, quite normal. Talk to my dad's family, oh, pop another shrimp on the barbie. <laughs> there is a certain mutual acquaintance of ours when she spends time with a particular friend, particular other friend, accent gets really, really strong and weird Australian <laughs> to the point that she's been told, no, you sound like Raddy trying to sound Australian. <laughs> oh, oh. I thought you were Australian, babe. <laughs> <laughs> At which point I, who was with this, went, yeah. yeah. <laughs> True. Oh, jeez. We done? Yeah, I'd say, yeah. I'd say we're, we're done, I suppose, just to... Give it... Uh, what are we going to give it? What are we going to measure it as? I think we should measure it in games. Because games. one of the things about this, and it was something I didn't realise oh, yeah, until I games. paid attention, is there are genuinely a different number of games played on the road. Mm. So he's playing a game with Boswell at the start where they're scoring cars. Mm. Then they play the I Spy or the Animal, Vegetable or Mineral with yeah. Fred Frugal. Mm. Then during the dissection of whether or not killer is killer, they actually score each other almost like Rosencrantz and Guildenstern are dead. You remember where they're back and forthing? And mm. then Jamie Lee Curtis goes, ooh, foul, because he says yeah. something. I can't remember what. Yeah, 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 you're very um, right, Callum. And then right towards the end, as he's chasing him through the streets of Perth and the guy's getting slower, he actually says, what game is this? So, And the whole thing is a cat and mouse game. Yeah, yeah, it really is. Yeah, it's just a bit weird to know who's the cat and who's the mouse and how much knowledge Killer has of what... Is he, yeah, as you say, is he leading him on? Is he trying mm. to get away? Is he just... Yeah, at first I thought, did he actually think that he was identified burying the body of uh, the guy in the distance? Surely he's going to an awful lot of trouble to be sure about this. Yeah. So maybe the killer is the boyfriend of the student that Pat oh, the slept Pat with while he with. was a uh, teacher. There we go. It's like, long distance revenge. <laughs> <laughs> well, very long distance. It goes from Townsville to Victoria. Townsville Perth. to Melbourne to Perth. I'd give it a sort of three and a half games out of five. Mm. I'm going to give it two and a half games only because there's so much more potential there. And I honestly think that there was just a little bit more and a little bit more thinking it could have been an amazing twist movie long before they became boring well i'm going to give it three and a half as well because you know the twist is something that only occurred to us but you know they're so common now i don't know how common they were 
back in the day, but I still think the twist wasn't necessary to make this good movie. Stacey Keach played Pat Quid as a great character. Mm-hmm. I think they did a really, really good job with this film. Yeah, mm. yeah. It was a good and not your typical film character of then or even now. Yes, that. agreed. Yeah, actually, in that respect, I will say that he was almost, especially considering they got someone like Stacey Keach, they did very definitely John McClane it a bit. In the, How do you mean? In that rather than go with the classic kind of sweep the woman into the arms, be the <laughs> devil-may-care hero and, and everything, he was almost, you know, blow for blow, a kind of a, okay, here is a particular trope, well, not trope, but, you know, here's a particular sure. trope, let's subvert it, here's a particular trope, let's subvert it, here's a particular trope, let's subvert it. He was incredibly intellectual without being a fop. He was definitely not the blokey truck driver. So, yeah, all right, I'll give that Stacey Keach's character in particular is a very well-played and intriguing intellectual type. And something's um, just occurred counter. to me. This is, I know it's women getting killed, of course, because it always is, but other than that, it's not a particularly sexist movie. No. He's not saying the sorts of things that you would expect well, to hear from a truck driver even now. And let me be clear, when I say John McClane, and I'm not suggesting that John McClane is an incredibly witty and incredibly intelligent, it's just that they made a point I'll of I'll not taking... hear a word against John McClane. <laughs> it's just that they made a point of making him a very different action hero than all the other action heroes of the time. Agreed. He wasn't a Rambo or a Commando. Mm. He was your dad getting the shits in a building. <laughs> so, so yeah, that was actually a conscious choice. And I think they did the same with Stacey Keach. Yeah, all right. So I'll pay that part. All righty. Okay. Well, thank you so much for listening to us over that last uh, two, three hours or whatever it was it seemed to you. It was fine <laughs> for us. So I hope if you haven't seen Road Games, you'll give it a watch now. I've been Daria. I'm probably November. And I am still Callum. Thank you for listening. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. been listening to Callum, November and Daria on Podsploitation. You can find the show on iTunes, Spotify or your podcatcher of choice. Contact us on Facebook, on Twitter as at Podsploitation or by email to podsploitation at gmail.com. If you would like to support the show, donations can be made at paypal.me slash podsploitation. Theme music, Creation Time by Kilo Cuts. Find and purchase their work at the usual three W's followed by a dot, then musicbrowse.de. All other material used is for review or illustration only. No claim or infringement is intended, and it means the copyright of their respective holders. No hitchhikers were harmed in the making of this podcast. With full, devout courage... Of sundry folk by adventure fall in fellowship and pilgrims were they all. Good morning, pilgrims!